you're listening to the Social Hub Podcast, a place where we give small brands the skills and know-how to master all their social media, digital and content marketing. I'm your host, Stacey Cranich, mum, champagne drinker and self-confessed karaoke queen. Join me in a journey of real conversations and meaningful messages that will help you grow in your business and life so you can have the most epic version of both. If you have a big vision and are ready to shine, then grab a cuppa or a cocktail and listen in. Today's instalment of the Motherhood Chronicles, a podcast series about mums talking the realities of life and business, is with one of the most lively and real guests I think I've ever had on the podcast. She is full of life and when you hear the term, take the bull by the horns, you will now and I know I will always think of her. My guest today is Adrienne Skye and while this episode is a long one because we could have talked for hours, it is a good one. Adrienne has had multiple businesses in her life. She has never shied away from trying new things and taking a punt on herself or something new. And this has come with some highs and lows of running a business and juggling it with kids. What I love the most is that her story isn't about an online business. Well, at the start, anyway. Adrienne ran bricks and mortar businesses while raising her family. She had highs and lows and the road hasn't always been easy, but it's given her a whopper of a life brimming with experience and stories. Her and her husband are coffee wholesalers, urban farmers, and previously she was in leadership in the South Australian education sector. She ran her bricks and mortar business, which was a cafe for 11 years and has also traveled Australia with her family. I mean, wow, what a rap sheet of things to say that you've been able to do in business and life. Aside from being a business owner, Adrienne is a teacher and a mother of two sons with dyslexia. Instead of saying disabilities, she has now stamped and coined the phrase flares of brilliance, which I am so here for that statement right now. And what she believes is that every single one of us has multiple flares like no other. She dreams of changing the way we talk about ourselves from negative self-talk to self-love and owning our flares of brilliance. Combined with her knowledge of the education system and her experience navigating parenthood with two boys who have needs that were outside a framework that most structured school environments could allow for, she's now creating a space for mums and their kids to see the world of disabilities in a different light and harness the genius that every single soul on this planet has. All the links to connect with this incredible woman are on the show notes page for today's episode at all the W's, the socialhubau.com forward slash 79. I'm going to hand it over to this episode. Strap on in, guys. It is a good one. Welcome, Adrienne, to today's episode of the podcast. I'm really excited to have you share your journey we've just been talking like literally non-stop for about 15 minutes before I hit record about everything that's been going on in your life business and mum life and I think you've just got so much great gold to share with everyone and this series is really shaping up to be a really nice conversation of real life chats which we don't often get a lot of real chats on the internet these days it's just an Instagram feed of like perceived perfection which just isn't real So I want to hand over to you straight up and let you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and your business. 
Thank you. And first of all, thanks for having me on, Stacey. Really appreciate it. Thanks for being here. <laughs> okay. So, uh, me, um, I always hesitate because I never know where to start. So, I am often eclectic and restless by some, but literally I am an absolute just wealth of adventure. So, we have multiple businesses. I'm a highly experienced and qualified educator. So currently I teach, I've returned to teaching after 13 years and I teach back in a local bush school and I teach Ghana. So I local traditional language here with the local elder and also running businesses, which is a wholesale coffee roastery and urban farm, as well as now launching Adrian Sky, which is educational business mentoring and helping our 14 year old son run his teampreneur business design. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and we said so much more before. But yeah, yeah, we did, but yeah. It encapsulates it in like 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then it's like previously had a bake house, got grocery, travel Australia, flipped houses. Yeah. And yeah, like love, love, love. Look, I don't leave anything to, I guess, ever wondering what it was like. I just experience everything, whether you fail or succeed. It's about the experience. Like, you know, the old saying, like, it's about the journey, not the destination. But it is so very much about having a go. So we are very much like, you know what, have a go. You'll never, leave, you'll never die wondering, that's for sure. No, and I think, like, the, the term, I'd never heard of the term before, but, like, there's a term for people that have, have their finger in more than one pie, which is an old... <laughs> like country term that I would use now they call it being multi-passionate oh, <laughs> that's uh, like that's like the, the modern day term but you know there's a lot of there's a lot more people out there that are really you know they're doing more than one thing I think sometimes in business people will go oh you know they're being a bit flaky because they're doing more than one thing but you know what most good mm. entrepreneurs have more than one income stream so it's actually it's smart and it's brave and it's courageous I think to be trying new things like you said you don't leave anything on the table no, literally, like I, and everyone, it is a common thing that when people go and have a shower, they, they think a lot in the shower. I think it's the only time, you know, now the kids are a bit older that they're not sitting at your feet in the shower. So you enjoy that shower more, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, although whinging that they, you know, got your shampoo in their eye. But the, the thing with that is I come out with a business idea, like every time and I'm like, ah, and the crazy ideas that I've had, some had been like, you know, nut, nut, and I'll leave it go. Some of them been like, nut, I've really got to give this a go. So I think it's just about a way of life for us now. It is so a way of life that even the boys now, because we've got three sons, even the boys now will look at something and go, oh, that's a really good business idea. Like I love that. <laughs> they've just got that creative, I guess, flair in the sense that you can make anything of nothing if you really have a desire. Yeah. So the question I've kind of been asking most guests next is like, how did you, how did you get into what you're doing? How did you start your business? Now you've obviously got quite a few businesses on the go, but like to get where you are and launch Adrienne Sky, share, share whatever you want to on that question. Like as in, how did you get into and get start, started in business? Or you might want to talk about that brand, whatever suits you. And then the thing from that is then what's been your biggest challenge and your biggest highlight in your business journey? So I, I've asked, I have been asked this question a lot and I can't pinpoint anything except the fact that the more I see my children being, you know, outside the box, the more I've seen myself like it. So 
I always say I should never have become a teacher because if there was that standardised test, I would never have passed it because my spelling and my grammar, it is absolutely atrocious. I have to really, really work on it. So I think my website I had to rewrite, like, no joke, probably in excess of like three dozen times and I can still see often mistakes and I've had people edit it back over. So I always laugh at that and the fact that what stays with me is I've always been, you know, wanting to just be different. So if I see people doing it one way, I go, oh, there could be another way of doing that. So I got posted to the country teaching at just after I was 21 and I bought my first house at 22 and I was adamant I was going to renovate it and flip it. Now, this is back in 2001. There was no, there was no flipping shows or anything like that back then. No, there was no flip or flop. No. And I had this thing and I've still got the pictures, you know, every room was a sponge painted color. And it was just this most, you know, like old 1915 cottage. And my dad helped me renovate it. He was an ex-farmer. So helped renovate it. And that was just like my highlight. I was like, oh my God, I couldn't wait to get home from teaching. And also I went into then leadership really, really young as well. So by the following year, I was acting deputy and acting principal at our local country school. I just knew that I loved always going a little step beyond. I love pushing my boundaries every possible way. I would push the boundaries and try and introduce something new. So looking back now, I see that it was always there with me. Moving forward, I went into head office with the learning difficulties team. I got seconded into head office and it was a small team of four that we covered the states. Everything from childcare through to tertiary, pretty much we sat on the helpline parents who had obviously discrepancies between the education system, so the, the, the um, public one here in South Australia, the education system and, you know, the accommodations not being met for the child. And it covered not just learning difficulties, but obviously it went across because we were in disability support services. I was there two years and obviously we, I had just previously met my husband who was a police officer and cliche, teacher and cop in the country. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, he followed me back to the city. I'm originally from the Adelaide Hills. And we um, decided we just, you know, fell madly in love. And it was a, a big whirlwind bromance married after 18 months. And we decided to have our first child. And I was like, no, nah, I've got to be a stay-at-home mum. I was just adamant. Got to be a stay-at-home mum. I'd gone, you know, obviously my career was booming at principal level. And I was like, no, nah, I just want to give it all up. And it was just like, you know, shocked to a lot of people. I'd already done my master's in cognitive psych by this time and a lot of postgrads and published, uh, co-published a resource for the department. But I was like, not nah, adamant. So being a go-getter and not wanting to obviously, you know, just live mediocre, and I don't apologise for that, we decided to start a business <laughs> because we had no business <laughs> training. We had no knowledge and that's apparently what you just do. So <laughs> my husband was a pastry chef previously. And look, we had been around small business. My mum was a hairdresser, had her own business. My dad was like a maintenance, had his own maintenance and building business. And David's family had had a bakery or have a bakery in the country. So we'd always been around, I think, small business. So we'd been acculturated without knowing it, but we still had zero idea. And we started a bakery. It was takeaway only in one of the busiest beach spots in Adelaide. So Henley Beach, Henley Square. And literally was just steep learning curve from there. <laughs> so you got into business out of necessity because you were like, I want to be a stay-at-home yeah. mum. Yeah, it was, yeah. And then you ended up working in your own bakery. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, because I, I had this glorious vision of me just like, you know, and, and you can't, obviously you can't see me on the podcast, but, you know, I was like, I had this glorious vision of me like, you know, doing the bookwork and nursing my baby and, you know, just. It, 
I don't know what I was honestly thinking. Like just, that's just that's just the quintessential thing that you know. And this is the thing, like having your own business is it's kind of led us to believe that oh, you have a baby, you can be a um, you know, what do they call it? Like you know, raise your business and babies, and it's like yeah, how do you actually do those two things at the same time? Like they don't go together very well. No, no. So like it was just this. How old is your oldest? Well, so yeah, Diesel is, Diesel with a Z, he is uh, 15 in August. So he's 14. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so 15. this is before, like, just before the internet <laughs> revolution. So it wasn't like, you know, online businesses were the thing back then either. No, there was no, there was nothing. Because like, yeah. we had just got mobile phones. I still had the old Nokia Flip. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> I used to love my Nokia Flip phone, actually. <laughs> with, with the little camel fur on the outside. Yeah. <laughs> We always laugh because I just bought a brand new Mazda SP23 and realising what we're getting into, not realising, you know, we put a second mortgage on the house, cringeable now. I would never, as a, a business mentor now, I would never recommend that unless you really had that justifiable income. But we put a second mortgage on the house. Look, there was some horror stuff in there that we did. Everything unorthodox we did and how it worked <laughs> it wasn't luck it was sheer determination absolute persistence to succeed it wasn't sheer luck it was like you know there was there was moments where you know I laugh and I used to shred the you know debt collection letters so David wouldn't see it and I, I, I would say this is probably the only time I've actually publicly ever advertised <laughs> did anyone tell her husband that she said this on the podcast <laughs> David's going to listen and go, really? But no, I want people to know, and I'm very realistic. I want people to know. And a lot of people go, oh, but this like, is the know. stuff no one talks about. Oh, people, people, people get onto Instagram and they go, oh, you know, I love my life. I meditate and I do all this stuff. And you probably do and you probably love it. And I always bring up meditation because I don't really like meditating. So nothing against anyone that loves meditating. It's not me against you. It's just something I don't particularly yeah. enjoy doing. But no, Stacey, this, I this, love it and you've offended me. No, I <laughs> my mind doesn't settle long enough. No. But like the Instagram feed is like, you know, business is perfect and I'm working on myself and all this growth journey and stuff, but they don't share the moments at 11 o'clock at night when they're crying, looking on seek for another job because no one's paid them for three weeks or four weeks and they're trying to figure out how to pay oh. for groceries. No one shares oh. that. No, and that's that's the big taboo still that I'm trying to make sure that, you know, I break is that, you know, we did everything unorthodox, but that's what actually entrepreneurs do we yeah. all actually buy new things not yeah, do the all... same strategy everyone yeah. else is doing entrepreneurs yeah. pave their own way yes and it was really funny because years later like you know when shark tank was on we had a like like you know a family friend that went on it and i reckon it was that episode because i didn't obviously normally watch it much but when there was this episode and i remember it was about uh, one person had backed up their income and well oh, i don't really want to leave my job because of and i can't remember which panel member said it but they were like no, you need to live so damn poorly and you need to put your whole heart and soul and you need to be like scraping money together to buy a loaf of bread to be a true entrepreneur. You're trying to safe net yourself. And I was like, ah, oh, I don't know if I feel better maxing out those seven credit cards to, you know, <laughs> pay the staff wages. But, you know, it's like everything was unorthodox and it was, it was, I guess it was like set to fail in our first location. It was set to fail. We're paying over a hundred grand in rent that year, uh, rent per year. We locked into a five-year contract because we had no leasing financial advice because we didn't know that leases were different. So we'd go over to a dodgy accountant we had at the time who thought he was all, you know, cocksure of himself that he could read over it. Now we know that obviously 
commercial lawyer is the way to go. So we we did it right the second time, but the first time, so we got absolutely screwed. We had no set outgoings. So the outgoings just kept going up and up and up and up. So over 100 grand now in a bakery, that's a shitload of pies and pasties at $3 to make just the rent alone, <laughs> let alone the wages because we were baking. So we, were, we, we had 24-hour-a-day wages going. Yeah, because bakers are going to be there early in the morning. Yeah, yeah it was crazy because we were bake on site and we set it up to be open. So this was the revolution just before Bakers Delight opened their bakeries up. We also, so this is 06 we opened, so 2006. Literally, we opened the doors three weeks before I gave birth to our first son because that's clearly challenging yourself. So I can see why my mama had kittens. But we literally just thought we we knew what we were doing but we thought we were educated enough to read not being screwed but we still got screwed so many times so within the first month we lost all our working capital and we almost went bankrupt so (laughs) thanks mum and dad for digging us out of that one but we were very lucky we had that backing from my parents but also the persistence to keep going so it was really heartbreaking because it it took us years to claw back from from those mistakes on the initial business setup from not getting the right advice and we learned so many lessons. We then had a break because the Henley Square development was going through. So every business, sadly, was challenged by that, except for us, because you had a multi-story building being built. And what do you have? You have tradies. What do they love? Bakery. Woo-hoo. That was our <laughs> saving grace was the 200-odd, you know, crank skis we were turning out a day. Plus, we also were next to the coffee club. And we decided to, you know, have a go at coffee. And we were just really grateful in getting a beautiful little Adelaide Hills coffee place that would stock us and then our passion developed so we so did that lead you on then to the coffee grinding yeah coffee roasting yes coffee roasting yes yes so So everything you've done has just been a stepping stone to the next thing that you went yeah yeah, I'm going to give that a crack yeah it's really amazing when you look back like I keep saying you have to keep going back now and again so going back when I was in head office we were head offices in Flinders Street in Adelaide and at the time across the road was a little old building and it used to be a amazing coffee roaster, Cappies and Rye. Everyone who was in Adelaide pre-2000 will know Cappies and Rye. It got bulldozed, obviously, for a high-rise apartment. But it was, I used, we used to go in there for our meetings, very you know, very technical meetings, didn't we? No coffee. We used to go in there. I used to have hot chocolates because I hated coffee. I actually hated coffee with a passion. So we used to go in there, but I used to watch this beautiful old Italian guy standing over this big old vintage roaster, roasting the coffee. And I was always amazed and intrigued at what he was doing. And eventually I started loving the aroma. So then when we were like, oh, let's put in coffee, I'd already been like, oh, I actually, and I'd started liking coffee from that point. So I had a real particular taste to only having freshly roasted coffee. So we sourced in Adelaide, a local roaster up in Harndorf. And it was just happened to be, you know, a beautiful couple that just mentored us in business as well. They later sold up and left to Tasmania because they had a, obviously some with some some medical needs that they needed to go to Tasmania for. And it just, yeah, led us into then bouncing from supplier to supplier, not really having that soul, heart and soul. So then we decided when the development went through, our lease was up. It all sort of happened weird, you know, weirdly at the same time. 
it was either shut our doors and walk away because, as I said to you, you know, I bought my beautiful Mazda XP23. We'd sold that for an oven. So every time I look at the oven, I used to think of my beautiful car. Every time someone slammed the door, David would be like, don't slam my car door. And I'd be like looking at him. <laughs> so I just love this because these are the things that actually really happen, right? Like yeah. these are the things no one's talking about that you make a decision to sell your car for an asset in your business or, you know, Absolutely. even at a more granular level, you're making the decision between your child doing a certain sport or you upgrading your website and having to say to your child no you're not doing sport and then little johnny's screaming at you calling you every name under the sun and saying that you're the worst mother in the world and then you're racked with guilt that you end up with you know need to go and see therapists for so these are the things that we're doing every day it's talking about no and that's i think been the biggest thing in business is when people get me started talking, I'm probably a bit like, yeah, I, I love how you talk a lot. You make me feel great. So when we, when I start talking, I, people had that bit of a, you know, a bit of a wash over their face. Like, oh my God, I'm a bit dizzy from this. Or they actually go, <laughs> or they actually go, I'm so engrossed. Can you please keep talking? Because you make me feel good forever, you know, having to sacrifice stuff. So yeah, so we, in the um, development, it was 2010, we either had no lease to walk away, shut up doors. And we had just finished paying our equipment and farm finance off by then and released a second mortgage. So we literally were, as we were five years prior. So the, you know, the three to five years. Five years. So the realistic thing here, you lost, really went blank, bankrupt. And it took five years of hard work and determination to get yourself out of that. Not charging your crystals and drinking a green juice every morning oh my god like you know like like mum of the year with your kid like dropping off to sleep while you're breastfeeding and then you're still typing and you're like well you know what my 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 staffing right now comes priority you can Mm -hmm. just hang there for a bit longer and you know instead really you know the mum of the year should have been I should have probably put that put diesel down but then again you know what I love what I did because my children are so close to both of us we are yeah we are very very close you know I, you know my 14 year old still hugs me towers over me but he still hugs me and gives me lots of cuddles and we he says I love you every you know walks away and go love you mum love you mum like we're very 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 close and I attribute that for the fact that everything was done with them so I always said if I couldn't talk about stuff in front of them obviously not everything they didn't need to know the financial pressure and stuff just like you know shredding stuff for David he probably didn't need to know that either but you know I, I have that ability that I can cope with I can cope with that I've somehow have always been able to logically put it into place and I don't let it affect me emotionally I put it clinically like you know what you have two choices you can either sit and dwell on it and let it really cause you anxiety and not to say that I don't have moments of anxiety I do but I can make it really um, consume my world or I can do something about it because it's still going to occur the motion the wheels are already in motion it's going to happen so so would you say that the biggest highlight in your journey then, because like obviously you left the bakery and then, <laughs> and then you did, didn't you travel for a little bit and then you ended up on your farm and now you're doing yeah. your business, you've got business coaching and also the other thing you're doing with yeah. the kids, the kids as well with, you know, really trying to change the way people look at children's disabilities. Like you've got some really powerful things you're doing in the world at the moment. Would you say that your biggest highlight is the fact that you were able and did take chances and oh were, were God, courageous yeah. enough to do that because yeah. if you didn't do that you wouldn't be in a space now where you were putting energy back into actually helping other people and also what you're doing with the kids as well so I just would love before we start talking a bit more about mum life can you just tell everyone 
your business coaching business like explain that and then and just talk a little bit about what you're doing with your kids and then we'll talk about family stuff like we were at that crossroad and I think like you say everything leads you to the point so we are we didn't close up the shop we had a property that we could have subdivided we we actually subdivided our property and we decided to roll the dice again so instead of walking away and going back to teaching and policing and and David had actually at the same time been doing a teaching degree so he was going to go into teaching so we could have holidays free we actually decided to subdivide our property we sold our block for 150 grand we decided to throw that all into a new shop fit and relocate and start again we owned our equipment so we spent all the money in relocating we started fresh now the best thing we ever did was shop fit in cash because yeah. we had no pressure of second mortgage we had no pressure of you know people behind us and I could budget it what that also started us on was a journey of subdividing and we'd already renovated a couple of properties by then so as in just our own properties and so we're like oh this is actually really quite fun so <laughs> and I was like oh I really do like that housing and that's when the 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 block it wasn't even the block back then but you know those shows started emerging yeah. back in 2011 so that was around that time so it was like oh this is really cool we can you know we could actually do this not apply for them I would never yeah show myself like that I'm too shy but we actually then decided to go into you know we we did that and the business went gangbusters and yeah from the coffee passion we started roasting at the new premise so we moved to West Beach around the corner from the biggest caravan park in South Australia so the West Beach Shores Adelaide Shores Caravan Park and it was just a mecca because you got the football grounds, you got Harbour Town down the road, we're on the beach. We picked up a dead patch. Everyone said we were fail. I was like, right, I'm going to make you sure we succeed. And we <laughs> absolutely went gangbusters. The solarium went out of business next to us within like, you know, the, when we're shop fitting. We took over that lease, opened up a cafe, kid-friendly sort of cafe, all artworks hanging with a mate who's a beautiful artist. He's a teacher and artist from Sejuna. And we then took over, bought out the pizza shop the year later for key money and opened up a conference room. So that was bringing back my head office days, a beautiful conference room, Caesar's own tops and beautiful little coffee roastery and a tea smelling. So that was leased out to things like, you know, the Crow's midfield meeting would come in and put their, you know, visa on tab. The Owens Cassidy big real estate firms would come in and they would book it out for, you know, coffee and, and meetings. So that was going along amazing. Everything was great. And then we were like starting to get bored. <laughs> so we decided to flip properties. So 2016, we sold our little, we called it a little prairie. So everyone had beautiful big homes. We had the same little tiny three bedroom, could see every room from the center of the house, but it was home. It was our heart and soul. We sold it and we bought a, a property that we subdivided in three, renovated, and we bought two more, three more after that and just kept flipping until we decided to still be restless and we had to travel Australia. So our youngest son, yeah, got unwell. So we decided to change up. We sold our business and we're traveling to the half lap of Oz in 2017 to regroup <laughs> and work out where we wanted to live and what we wanted to do. So we kept our wholesale coffee and we sort of put that on the back burner. We traveled Oz and like, you know, we went up the center of Australia, took two months to go up the center, zigzagged across and then went down the west and inland west. We got to Perth and we saw the, the, well, the urban farm we've got now. My hubby went, I think I've seen the dream property, Adrian, it's here. Because we're going to move to Darwin after, you know, not being able to walk on the beach without being scared I was going to eat by a crocodile. I was like, no, nah, we're going to go home. Got to go back to Adelaide. Our heart's in Adelaide. Yeah. I hate, I hate the winter, but the heart's in Adelaide. So we saw this home. So we were like, boys went, boys, the opens this weekend. Are you ready to go home? And they were like, yes, we're ready. You know, it's so after 
four months and they were they were just they were just ready and how old were the kids at this point oh well diesel turned 11 in darwin so it was 11 10 so they were 10 8 and 7 when we took off yeah because we've got three boys three boys under four years because that's what you do when you run a business that's right you had lots of children really close together. Yeah. Because, you know. Because sleep's not essential for a human at all. No, no, no. Well, it's amazing how much book work you get done at the two o'clock feed. Yeah. It is, it is. <laughs> I still send, yeah, late emails now. I just haven't switched my body clock around. But no, sleep, sleep is so overrated. Like, really. Yeah. Like, you know, you only need enough to just not look that daggish. So, yeah, so we come back we bought this property we sold up the last of our we quickly flipped the last two of our properties that we had sort of you know we did everything like we shouldn't have done we locked it up and went and we should have rented them out but anyway we just knew we had to go we had no history of ever owning a caravan ever camping I literally our first I don't know what they call it like it's not the letdown trip oh whatever it is when you take your caravan for the first time and do a bit of a quick trip to see if it's going to work the maiden voyage yeah there's a saying that you say and we didn't even do that we literally threw all our shit in the caravan and <laughs> let's go we, yeah yeah we did we did it was like all bags and, and I threw because my mum's like if you don't go this Saturday you are not going to get away from here so we literally threw everything in the van got, literally and we got to David's parents in Crystalbrook and I re sort of packed everything in the driveway we then worked out what we didn't have I was catching up with some friends because I was teaching originally in Port Perry I, we went into Kmart and stopped our caravan from Kmart. So it was like, right, we got the utensils. We worked out what we needed. This is like three hours north of Adelaide. And we're already on our trip, you know, around Australia. And I'm buying like, oh, we haven't got a tea towel. We haven't got this. Oh, we haven't got that either. Like, we were buying everything that you probably shouldn't be buying, you know, when you're already taken off. So we don't ever do anything without just jumping in literally head first. So we bought the urban farm. And we have no idea about farming. My dad, like I said, was an ex-farmer, but we we have no idea about farming. But you know, so we got chickens, we got sheep, we just got a pony. Yeah, we we just we just wing it, like fake it till you make it, really. Yeah. And then so we've got the <laughs> urban farm and the coffee roasting. <laughs> yeah. So then now let's what what about the stuff you're doing now? So you decided even after all no. that, there still wasn't enough. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Well, that was all running just nicely. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, and business was to, like, you know, to obviously the, the coffee roastery. So tax-wise, the business, the coffee business, you know, the, you know, to looking at deductions and expenses. I don't think the ATO is really going to like us building an urban farm and claiming the deductions through coffee roastery. So I don't think a fence really comes under the banner. So we were like, right, how can we make an income from this property? We've got 20 acres. How can we make an income? But also, how can we develop it so that it is tax deductible? So we therefore, in you know, a couple of years ago, we decided to open or register Blazing Pitchforks. So Blazing Pitchforks, so we call this farm Totoka now, which means beautiful in Fijian. So David and I got out in Fiji, so everything has a Fijian theme. So it's uh, Blazing Pitchforks. So that's our, bit, our farm side. So we do chicken breeding. I sell some protears. It is meant to have organic lamb, but a ram called Dodge is dodgy and he's not really doing business at the moment. <laughs> but, you know, Dodge will get his act together soon. He's just too friendly, the beautiful little boy. So, so you know, we've got that. But obviously my recent one is the mindfulness. So we have been building the farm for three years to get to what I have actually launched today, which is 
a mind, a, basically a farm mindfulness. So I call it flares of brilliance. So, oh God, I keep going back again. So last year when COVID hit, we lost our coffee roasting business. So pretty much the wholesale shut down. Uh, the only thing that was going really well was Organic Box here, which is delivered to your door. But the wholesale, like there's no cafe. So, yeah. you know, and, and it yeah. is still like, you know, a lot of places, it is ghost town out there. Sadly, so we soon learned I had returned to teaching to test myself whether I really wanted to be a teacher or not, because that was that niggling voice in the back of my head after 13 years, you know, you've done all this study, you know, you were out to make a difference in the world, you're wasted. So I returned to teaching, one, to help us pay for our, our son through private secondary school, but also to work out whether I could actually make a difference. So Obviously, over the years of having children, two of our three sons are dyslexic. So our eldest, Diesel, is severely dyslexic and severely dysgraphic. So now, now not, just, um, what's dysgraphic? So dysgraphic is written. So reading, right. yeah, reading is dyslexia and dysgraphia is right. Dyslexia. Okay. So yeah. yeah, so dyscalculia is math and like obviously there's a few others. Ah, in there. Okay. So yeah. reading and writing, yeah, that just really is a double whammy. If yeah, you know, yeah, it's really hard and it's funny because I look back and I never got my pen license in year four I need to go and see this teacher and let her know she damaged me for life <laughs> <laughs> the old pen license I think you've got to be someone I think because how like if you don't mind me asking how old no. are you how old am I 40 <laughs> I don't know 43 42 yeah you've yeah, definitely got to 42 I'm 42 yeah so I'm uh, you've got to be over 40 to understand the pen license yeah. yes and yeah. and because my like I didn't have to do that when I went through school and I'm 41 so it must have been on its way out around our age but my husband talks about it all the time and he goes kids should go back to getting their pen license these girls can't <laughs> write properly blah 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 and I'm like have you seen your, your, like our writing's not that great either <laughs> it's funny because the scary part is even when I was in head office, there were still teachers doing pen license. Oh. And that is scary. <laughs> I know. And I always just think, I know I got mine because I was the last kid in my class to get it. And I still have got the, you know, the little blue certificate sitting on the back wall, um, on the front wall next to the blackboard, sorry, on the blue pinup board. And I used to sit there going, why can't I get it? I used to try so bloody hard. Really? I really, really did. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't, you know, a misbehaving student. You know, I challenged boundaries maybe in my secondary years, but I didn't in my primary years. I was very, yeah. very obliging young student. You know, in secondary, I just got, I just knew how to get out of English homework because you get kicked out of the class, you miss the homework assignment, and then you don't get homework. Yeah. I had that all down pat by secondary school. So I knew my avoidance. I knew my kid's dyslexia does come from me. I never was diagnosed, but I do know that there's something in there. So going back to, you know, the, the pen, the, the writing stuff, the dysgraphia. So I do see that. Yet the funny part was in the bakery, I used to do all the signboards because I had worked out that if I do really, really swirly writing, I cover it up and everyone used to comment, oh, my gosh, who does your boards? They are gorgeous. I used to have a giggle and go, gee, my year four teacher, if you only knew, <laughs> get my pen license there. I, I just, I laugh because I'm like, that was just, you know, just come back at me. But so the just this, that obviously was a challenge in itself. And I think it was heartbreaking because I never wanted to be that parent teacher of, oh, you know, do you know, I used to be in head office and I used to make accommodations and under the DDA. And I never wanted to be that strong, not strong. I never wanted to be that opinionated parent that thought that they knew it all, even though I did know all my, because that's what I used to do. That was my role was making sure that children 
who had disabilities, and, and like I say to you, I hate the term learning disability, but, you know, technically under the Disability Discrimination Act, it is a defined disability, so it's a learning disability, that he has legally got the right to have accommodation. So I knew all the legal propaganda. I'd been dealing with it for two years in head office. So it was really heartbreaking watching Diesel be absolutely stifled and broken by the system. Yes. So year three was a turning point for him in the sense that he had been, you know, put with a, another teacher. We'd moved schools. We, you know, hey, we'd moved a few times. We'd moved schools and he put with a teacher and it was a small school that he was going to be with for a few years. And it was the fact that, well, here's dyslexia. We just got to sit him closer to the board. And I was like, oh, here we go again, you know, and his previous teacher was just gorgeous and amazing. But I was like, this is not going to work. And he was on the floor crying and, and saying that, you know, he didn't, you know, he was dumb and didn't want to live and all this. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I'd heard these stories in head office. Yeah. And yet I didn't, you know, pre-kid, I didn't, I, I just, I couldn't fathom why these stories were happening. You know, it was that, well, what's happening else? What else is happening? Well, until you've got your own or you go through something, you don't really understand oh. it. Like you can empathise, yeah. you can be uh, understand you can be understanding or appreciate people's plight or what they're going through but you don't really you don't get it no no No. and I feel really bad for ever casting those judgments on those stories I really do deeply feel bad because yeah even though I empathize I didn't have yeah the contextual understanding but watching him sit there and I wish I could video it to just show every teacher now that doesn't realize that the little few little comments that they say they build and they gain momentum and they crush children. They crush the inner child of yes. all of us because it was heartbreaking. So we moved schools again. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm not a big one for kicking up a fuss and making a storm because at the end of the day, if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. So we're very big on and always have been about making you feel, you know, really, I guess, loved. And you've got to, you know, own, own your own skin, really. So... Moving forward, even a few more years, we decided to travel. And that was, a, that was, I guess, you know, a sabbatical for Diesel at the time. He really needed that. Again, he was having, you know, another few hurdles in school. He was starting to notice the difference between him and his mates. He really still didn't know his place in the world. He just couldn't, couldn't work it out. Nor could we get the schools because the system doesn't change. And that's what I do know from being in the system. The system stifles creativity. It yeah. absolutely stifles the the you know we we go on and on and on about well-being and I was I assisted you know years ago in a well-being policy like helping overview just to have you know obviously input for it in head office and it all went out so well-being policy got you know released here in South Australia back in 2006 released in 07 and it's just amazing but yet you know 15 20 years later 15 years later we haven't evolved Mm. and that I think was where I started going hang on this is not working so after traveling coming back doing all that and well, it's focusing on what they can't do, not focusing on what oh. they can do. And yeah, and we always say, you know, focus on their strengths, focus on their strengths. You've got to make accommodations. You know what? It's all talk and no action. And it still is all talk and no action. So, you know, last year when COVID hit and I'd already um, returned to teaching, thinking I could make a difference in the world. And moving Diesel into the school he is now, the private school, has been phenomenal because they do. Like the he, there's a special program called Stretch. And instead of doing LOAT, so language other than English, he does intervention. So he still is working on what he's not good at, but it's it's explicit and it's not expecting him to do it on top of everything. So we've also, as family, excluded homework from our house. So we've had a no homework policy. So I said to my husband, it's a social experiment. Either we're going to totally screw our kids up or we're going to come out the other end and go, you know what? Oh. 
Don't don't even get me started on homework. Don't even get me started. There is no, you know, there's lots of evidence for, yeah, the benefits of homework, absolutely. But there is also a crap load of evidence in why it actually doesn't benefit. And from a teacher's perspective, it takes seven times longer to undo a skill and relearn it. So, you know what, unless you're actually sending home homework that is quite easy or they need to catch up or whatever, really, you're getting un- inexperienced, teach- inexperienced parents acting as teachers, teaching your child something that you're going to have to redo anyway the next day. So it's actually... Oh, my dislike of homework started with home readers in kindergarten. <laughs> Just, always, yeah. you're sitting there you know you've got this new kindy child you're taking it really seriously and the teacher's saying they need to be at this level and you're sitting there oh. trying to get them to say the word the or here or whatever dog cat they probably can already read that by then but you know what I mean like you're getting them to try and say yeah. these words and like oh I just was just, I was just like no, you know what you, 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 I just went you go to school for six <laughs> hours a day the teacher can deal yeah. with that. I am not dealing with that. Well, I always laugh because in reception, Diesel did, you know, a massive one term at one school and she'd sent home flashcards and we were over at my parents because I live in the, like, around the corner at the time we were and we're over at my parents and I actually was like, can you even pronounce these? I gave them to my dad and Dave, see dad and Dave, and said, look, you guys do the flashcards with Diesel. Have a go. Like, you know, joking. They both couldn't pronounce one of the blends. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, see? point point like it's, it's just made like that's it if you can't get parents to like you're trying to teach your child to read but you're not a qualified teacher that's no not, that's not your job your job is to parent your child is your job is to love and nurture and have fun and not be that yeah so I truly believe in hey look you know read at home that's like that I still read to our boys funny enough I actually still sit in front of the fire and read you know at the moment reading Paul Jennings Uncollected these short stories it's quirky it's gross it's you know what the boys love they're still being immersed in literacy but we've never made them read at home as an actual reader and I know that sounds really bad coming from where I've come from but on the flip side we had to do things differently two of our boys hate hate reading so was it worth us being the bad, you know, the no. bad cop? No, it wasn't. We had to nurture because I'd already had a crap six hours at school, coming home mentally exhausted because I had to work even harder to decode all the information on their worksheets because, you know, they don't, they don't stop photocopying worksheets and all that and making them right and do everything. So it, they're actually mentally and emotionally already more, far beyond exhausted. And then coming home and going, no, you have to get your reader. You have to. So we banned homework. <laughs> we yeah. still banned homework. Yeah, so there lied that belief, you know, going back last year and still seeing kids being crushed by the system. And I'm like, mm. you know, I'm only affecting 30, 40, 50 kids. You know, even if I was a principal, I still can only change so many children and I'm still going to be a standalone entity. How can I do this? And like I said, COVID hit and I went, you know what, I, I, I've got all this information. I know how to make mistakes in business. Hell, why not turn it into a mentoring and educational business? So hence Adrian Sky was born last year. So yeah, that was born. Challenge was I am not an online person. That was yeah. my challenge. I had a phobia of being stalked by Facebook. That sounds so weird when you put it like that. But <laughs> so I do have a phobia of being stalked and just, you know, weird people jumping out of the bush at night because that happens apparently all the time. So, you know, I, I, I had to get over my hurdle of my identity of who I was online and having my Facebook as an open forum. And that really was a challenge and I needed to find coaching. So for me, the challenge in business, there's always been a challenge, always. There's always going to be a challenge in business. If you're not challenged, I don't believe then the universe is testing your desires or showing you another way. There's only two two points. Either you really want it or you don't, 
or one door does need to close for another one to open. So there's always going to be a challenge in every single person's business. Nothing is ever smooth sailing. If anyone is, oh God, give me a secret code. But seriously, with Adrian Sky has been getting me out there to the world because I'm actually quite a shy person. I can talk legs off a caterpillar. I'm great. <laughs> I'm great. I'm great. I'm great in front of a classroom because kids just don't care and I love that. But get me in front of a big crowded room. I, I go really, really, really shy. I actually wouldn't even talk to my husband when I've, I've got a friend called me into the pub and I like walked straight past him. I wouldn't talk to him for an hour and a half. I got really, really shy. So I do actually have these moments of um, shyness. So getting myself out there and saying, hey, this is me. I have found that was where I've really, I've been probably challenged the most out of all my businesses. Yeah. That's, that has been my, by far, the biggest challenge is getting seen, getting heard. And having the confidence that, you know, people will criticise my parenting approaches. Absolutely. I, I realise this. But having the stance to go, you know what, I have seen it enough to know that I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually not wrong here. I'm not wrong. I hear mm. the same stories again and again and again. And I heard it around the state. I hear it. I see it. I know it's there. Yeah. And if I don't stand up, I'm, I need to be the voice for all of us parents that are actually going through the same daily struggles in that the primary sector is too stifling. It is, we're, we're killing the creativity before, when it should be emerging, when it should be evolving. And so, like I said, putting it to the test was Diesel last year in COVID. He's very creative, always been phenomenally creative, amazing with his hands. Like I said, you know, his reading level is still at the age of 14, is still at the age of eight. So we're talking severe dyslexia. Like, and yeah. we've tried, we have tried a lot of it. It is actually getting a lot better now with more um, a different approach of intervention. But it is still severe for, for a young kid. It's heartbreaking, really, you know. But he has good coping strategies in place now. He has a really good resilience. And the resilience is, yes, us being like, you know, you're amazing, you're brilliant, you can't be all the same, you know, because the three boys are also polar opposite. So it's like a vast, you know, classroom in our house. And we keep saying, you know, you're not all the same. We're not all the same. Do you really want to be the same? Like, you know, so we bring back all the, you know, Dr. Seuss, you know, like taught a fish to climb a tree. He'd always forever think he was, you know, all those quotes, think outside the box. But it never actually really, you know, gets in because when kids are going through this, they don't want to hear Richard Branson's, you know, amazing because he is amazing, but they don't identify with no. that because they're an older person. So I said to Diesel, you have the chance to make a difference. Why don't you start your business and start talking to the world about your dyslexia? So he did. He launched Design last year. So Design is basically just, you know, his creative flair of, you know, it actually started out as a bug hotel, believe it or not. Because, <laughs> yeah, because he had some wood and he made some frames and he was like, yeah, I can use the, you know, nail gun. And we filled it with the local wood and it just went crazy. We, we put the four on the market last April. He got 28 orders in 10 minutes. Amazing. And we just went, oh, we've got to launch a business. So yeah. the, team, the teampreneur at 13 launched design. He was turning. It was amazing. Yeah. And then it sort of, you know, we had to put it a bit quiet. He then, yeah, mid-year did the same thing, relaunched again another thing, another burst of, you know, uh, bug hotels. He did this time. He put 30. He made 30. He sold them again within 10 minutes. It was just crazy. So he decided that's it. So he started like tinkering around, doing stuff. The confidence in him was just phenomenal because I kept saying, see, 
if there's not people like you in the world, then yeah. you know, well, like we wouldn't have this. We need, we need all different creative people. We need this, and we're not. We've always parented with uh, very limited gains. So we, the struggle with parenting for us was one, you know, dealing with the education system, but two was dealing with the children's peer pressure because they were all on roadblocks and Fortnite, and our kids have never been allowed to play that. Yeah. So we've gone through the age of uh, parenting with no gain in our family. So, yet we watch Netflix. We're a big movie buff family. You know, yep, they had a few iPads. They've all been sold now, but they were only ever used for educational and then they just kept going dead. So we travelled Australia, basically. They went dead at Alice Springs and they didn't come back out. So we've gone through that era of, you know, you know what? You need to be bored. You need to find something to do. You need yes. to. Our kids have always been outside. Like we, yeah. I, I laugh because I got angry at them, you know, and I'll say angry, but I was like, get inside now. Because it was like nine o'clock the other night and it's pitch yeah. black and, you know, they wouldn't get inside. And I laughed. I shut the door. I said to my, you know, I said to David, how funny. I'm actually going, get inside or I'm going to have to punish you. Yeah. I can't believe I actually am. I can't get our children inside. I, you know, I find it really, really hard to get oh. them inside, to have showers. You know, get I just, I just love that because, like, my youngest, you know, obviously mine have grown up with technology. Marley will be a YouTuber one day, one hundred and ten percent for sure. She will be. <laughs> She's just got that personality, but, oh. but at the same time, they don't know how to be bored. So, like, Marley will say, "I'm bored," and I go, "Good." Yes. And she goes, "That's not good. It's bad." And I'm like, "No, no, no. Being bored is good. It means you can be creative." So, yeah. and so I'll take their devices off them and I'm like, well, you're bored. So clearly your device isn't doing anything for you. So take the device out, go find something to do. And then you'll find them making still at ages 10 and 13, making up a, a game to play together or yeah. something like that. And, and it's just like, we don't give our kids enough of a chance just to be bored. I know. They don't have to be occupied all the time. Yeah, exactly. Like growing up, we lived on the back of the Sturt Gorge and, you know, I used to say to mum, I'm bored. Mum would be like, you know, there's no such thing as boredom. And I used to, you know, eye roll and ugh, like, and you'd go off down the gorge and you'd find the mudslide and half yeah. the neighborhood kids would be there and we'd all have an yeah. absolute ball, come home, head to toe dirty. <laughs> the stormwater drain was where we played. Really, <laughs> really, really safe down in, in the old country playing in the stormwater drain. I think oh. ours, was, ours was, yes, the sewage pipe that went from yeah. here. Oh, so across bad. It. That's disgusting. Really? Yeah. I know. But it was sliding up the But, um, but like, you know, we, you know, we, and that was the thing. We said the kids, and David grew up in the country, and it was like, you know, we used to go riding out and tenting. So we we bought the property for kids to actually, you know, immerse themselves. And when, their mate, yeah. and when their mates come up, that no one ever asked to go inside and play games. We never, ever, ever had that, oh, well, can we go inside? No, everyone's always like, oh, my God, you know, so much fun. And but that's and a conscious like, choice and that's been work for you to get to that point because the oh, easy yeah, thing is yeah. to give in to the technology. The harder Absolutely. thing is to keep it away. It yeah. is. And, yeah. and I will say it's heartbreaking when the kids are like, why can't? Because we have had that. Why can't yeah. I be like normal kids? And you do feel like oh, God, are we really putting them, you know, are we really sort of, I guess, hiding them? And you hate to say it, but are we really being that alternative that we're actually mm. stifling our own children? And so, you know, so that's why I've said, you know, they've had the, they can say they've had iPads. They can say they've played some games, but we don't go with the yeah. online gaming. We've never done that. And I think yes. David being an ex-cop has been more about the cyber safety and I'm big Oh, on definitely. So, definitely. you know, and, and as a teacher, I, I know that. But I guess yeah. um, it's definitely, it hasn't been fun parenting through the, what what's wrong What's wrong with you guys? Why don't you let us game? 
Okay, so in wrapping up, this has been just the best conversation. I've just loved how real and raw you are. And I think, you know, it hasn't been like a standard interview. It's just been more of a chat. But we've covered so much ground in what you've done in your business and done as a mum and how you've juggled the two. Just in, in leaving one last thing, what would you say is, you know, what's been the biggest thing that's worked for you to juggle all of this, the mum and the business together? What's your one thing you think helped you the whole way? So the biggest thing has been David and I being on the same page. Yeah. 